TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You found the Playmakers on CBS Sports Radio 1140. Paul and Lindsay here, the Playmakers, on this Tuesday afternoon. It is a night's game day, and we need to get you ready for this one-versus-eight matchup. And we bring in someone who knows the opposition really well, the Blackhawks insider for our sister station, The Score in Chicago. He's also the host of a podcast, the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. He's also written a book on the Blackhawks, The Big 50, The Men and Moments That Made the Chicago Blackhawks. Jay Zawoski joining us. Jay, thanks for coming on, man. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Jay, so in terms of Chicago, is there excitement about having the Blackhawks in the Stanley Cup playoffs, and then is it tempered by the fact that they have to play the Vegas Golden Knights? Uh, I think the answer to both those questions is yes. Um, It was unexpected that the Hawks were this far. I mean, they were not a playoff team this year. And, And then the Edmonton series, I think people had a feeling they could win it, but, you know, after they, they dominated game one, then game two, people are a little bit worried that, okay, the real Hawks are here. This is what it's going to look like most of the series. But then I think now that they've won that series in advance to the actual playoffs, people have gotten more excited about it. But the, the reality of the strength of this opponent, to people who do follow hockey on a regular basis, they know the Hawks are overmatched here and everything that happens from here on out is basically just gravy. But we'll take it because they've got some young players that these playoffs are going to benefit. And uh, let's go. You know, let's see what they can do. Now, Jay, that's not a very much a hockey mentality because you got to make sure you don't overlook your opponents <laughs> and you, and you got to make sure that you, you think and believe in your soul that you're going to win. But a lot of us are still getting to know uh, the new but somewhat familiar Blackhawks squad that you guys have this year in their first postseason action since 2017. And I think uh, head coach Jeremy Calton's first crack at it uh, behind the, the bench. But for those of us that are kind of catching up, uh, what are some of the key differences in, in the way that Jeremy Calton runs his team versus what we saw from Joel Quenville uh, when he he was still running this bench in the last time they were in the playoffs. Well, there's not a huge difference uh, stylistically. I think that uh, Q was very predicated on that long stretch pass from, you know, having defensemen that can move the puck with speed, with accuracy throughout the zone. And, and when the Blackhawks were winning Stanley Cups, it wasn't just Brent Seabrook. It wasn't just Duncan Keith. It was Nicholas Jalmerson. It was Johnny Oduya. 
they had an arsenal of players that could do that. All six of their defensemen in that time frame could move the puck well. They don't have that luxury anymore. Duncan Keith is still playing very well for, you know, a 36, 37-year-old defenseman with that many miles on him. Adam Pokus can move the puck, but he's still a little bit hesitant uh, being, a, you know, a 19-year-old defenseman. He, he's going to pick a spot here and there. Um, but aside from those two, there's not a ton of puck movers on this team. So that's sort of where you'll notice the big difference is you're going to see, um, you know, it, it takes a little bit longer for those zone exits. There has to be a little more puck support from the forwards for the Hawks to get the puck out of the zone uh, as well as they used to. And just in general, controlling the puck is not something they did as much as they, as they you know, did back in the day because, like the Golden Knights, those Blackhawks championship teams were stacked. They could roll four lines. You know, they had fourth-line players like Marcus Kruger who would have been probably second, third-liners on other teams. They don't have that depth now. They don't have the same talent they had. So that, that's really going to be the difference. It's going to take a lot more puck support from the forwards to come back and get that puck moving the other way. Now, uh, the Hawks have had a couple of really young guys step up and really make a splash, and I'm sure that's a a, a lot due to Dominic Kubalik, who had a huge hand in defeating the Edmonton Oilers in that uh, qualifying round. He was a seventh-rounder in 2013, had 46 points in his rookie season this year. What kind of game should we expect him to bring to Game 1, especially after he's had a couple of game-winning goals against Edmonton and uh, rolling in with six points? There's two things about Dominic Kubalik that you need to look for. First of all, he has probably the best shot on a team. And I don't think it's particularly close. You can get the shot off with accuracy and with speed right away. As soon as that puck's on a stick, the puck is gone and, and often in the back of the net scoring 30 goals this year. He also has a knack for finding uh, the place to be, finding the spots that are unprotected, getting there. And then, you know, when the pass gets to him, like I said, he can fire him quickly. He does have a knack for finding those areas. Alex DeBrinkin is another guy who has that sort of a knack, but he hasn't really contributed during these playoffs. But yeah, Kubelik just has this ability to score quickly and to find those areas. He reminds me a little bit of Artemi Panarin, and I don't want to go and put him in the stratosphere just yet. But in terms of the the shot release, in terms of finding those tricky spots to be, uh, Kubelik is very similar to Panarin in that way. And, and that hockey vision uh, uh, skill is so important, especially nowadays where everybody is so skilled. Everybody has, you know, an arsenal in terms of shots, in terms of their skating ability. But that hockey vision is really what sets people apart. And I think that's what has set Jonathan Taves apart from so many of his peers throughout his career. He's captained uh, the, the, the Blackhawks to three different cups and is leading your team this year in playoff points as well. And he looks like a, that he's on a remember me revenge tour so far after a couple seasons where he wasn't doing a lot because the team wasn't. So how is his leadership style changed over the past few seasons and how has it brought this specific group together at least uh comparatively to the cup winning teams that he's captained in the past well it's funny because i don't think that his leadership style has changed very much at all he's always been lead by example watch me do this i'm the highest guy highest paid player on the team but i'm going to work harder than everybody and if i can work this hard you can work this hard and that sort of trickles down to the entire roster that's never gone away there was a little bit, a couple of years there where Taves was dealing with some injuries. Uh, he changed his diet, so I think he was dealing with some strength issues as well while he figured that whole thing out. Um, but the last couple of years, he's had a, a bounce back offensively. He's not the same guy he was, you know, when he was in his mid-20s winning Stanley Cups. And, and you know, the, he has the natural aging process that every NHL player except Duncan Keith has. Um, <laughs> but, you know, these last couple of years, he's been really good. And this playoff series, the one against Edmonton, 
that looked like the Jonathan Taves of old, just sort of willing himself to the net, uh, you know, scoring in droves, just being completely effective on all ends of the ice. That's the Jonathan Taves that Blackhawks fans fell in love with during the dynasty days. And, and that series in Edmonton, he looked like that guy again. And uh, I, I don't know if it was so unexpected if you're someone who watches every Hawks game, but, you know, as the team sort of loses relevance as they miss the playoffs, people kind of forget. It was exactly. a nice reminder of who Jonathan Taves is. He knows the Blackhawks better than anybody else, the insider for our sister station, The Score in Chicago. Jay Zawoski joining us here. He wrote a book on the Blackhawks, The Big 50, The Men and the Moments That Made the Chicago Blackhawks. It's a little layup for me here for, for to, to ask you here, Jay, but you'll know better than anybody else because you saw the majority of the body of his work this season. The guy who Pete DeBoer here has tapped to be in goal for the Vegas Golden Knights, Robin Leonard. Leonard, what scares you about Leonard in terms of having Chicago face him, but what also are you looking for in trying to penetrate his armor? Well, here's something I learned about Robin Leonard and his time in Chicago. First of all, he's one of the best goalies in the league. There's no doubt about that. Uh, his unorthodox style, uh, where he's a guy who is sort of old school, will stack the pads and make those spectacular glove saves. Stylistically, him and Corey Crawford could not be any different. Another thing I know about Robin Leonard, though, is if things start to go wrong, if things start to go south, he can lose it a little bit during the course of a game. You know, if things start to unravel, if they get down, you know, 3-1 early, and this is back when he was with the Hawks, but I don't expect it to happen to the Knights very often in this series. Um, but, you know, you would see him sort of lose his composure a little bit. He plays with a lot of passion. He plays with a lot of fire. That's what I like about him. But if there's a little bit of a soft spot, he can, he can lose himself in those games a little bit. He reminds me a lot of Eddie Belfour. Similar, uh, you know, fire on the ice. Uh, he's not going to let people get in his crease. He's going to speak his mind uh, after the game. I really like Robin Leonard's personality. I, I hope that uh, when the season's over, the Hawks do try to sign him. I don't know if they're going to be able to with the cap flattening out, but um, a lot of us hoped that Robin Leonard will be the Hawks goalie long-term, and then they traded him. But Corey Crawford uh, has played really well this year, too, and I think people are writing him off a little too easily as well. So we'll see. If, I think it's going to be a really awesome story to watch during these playoffs. I know going into tonight's game, I think that's what the pundits will be talking about, will be Leonard versus Crawford. Um, But those two are much closer in terms of talent ability than I think people give Crawford credit for. So, Jay, how confident are you in the Hawks' defensive core other than Duncan Keith and their depth and their ability to skate with a true four-line team in the Vegas Golden Knights? Uh, you guys stopped Connor McDavid and Drysettle, but this is a completely different animal, or as you said, beast, and it's a lot more than just one line or two guys. So what did the, what do your defensemen need to do to kind of bottle up these Knights? Well, that's going to be the challenge is, you know, you can you can cherry-picker matchups when it's one line you got to stop, when it's one guy you got to stop. Uh, they're not going to have that luxury here against against Vegas. And the, the pair of Calvin DeHaan and Connor Murphy, two guys who are just kind of old-school, defense-only defensemen, they're not super fast. They're probably average in speed, but they're savvy. They're smart. Uh, they block shots. They, they make the sort of sacrifices you have to make to win games. And those kind of things seem to show up more in the playoffs. They seem to matter more. In the playoffs, the, the, what, what concerns me, uh, and he's you know somehow survived the series against Edmonton is Oli Mata, who is one of the slowest skating defensemen, one of the sk- slowest skating players in the National Hockey League. And boy, there were some moments of greatness for Mata against Edmonton, and then there were some moments where you just wanted to put your head in your hands and <laughs> and reevaluate life when you watched him play. 
that that slow footedness is going to be an issue for him. And while Vegas doesn't have anyone quite as fast as Connor McDavid, I don't think anybody does. Uh, they've got four lines of, of really good players. So I'm going to be really interested to see how Jeremy Cowan uses his defensive pairs in this series. I don't really know what the plan is going to be. Who do you choose to slow down? You know, I think you would consider the shutdown pair would be Murphy and DeHaan. I would look for them to draw uh, whoever they deem to be the toughest line to defend. And because, you know, Keith is, is still the best defenseman, but he's out there with Boquist in a bit of a babysitter role. Boquist can play too, but, you know, Keith and Boquist are not the shutdown pair anymore. So I think look for DeHaan and, Bo- and Murphy to draw that top matchup. And another guy, Slater Cuckoo, who is, you know, number six on the depth chart in most people's eyes, led the Hawks in most important metrics this season. Just a guy who really flew under the radar and had a nice series against Edmonton. Uh, and he's starting to make some noise for himself as well. So they have, I'll say this, they have a collection of six defensemen. They've got one number one and five, you know, fours or fives. That's, that's kind of how the Blackhawks defensive core is made up. Unlike back in the day when they were winning cups where they had two number ones and probably four number two style defensemen. They're going to absolutely have to be choosy and, and really maintain that gap control considering how much speed and skill is on that on this Golden Knights team. But we would be remiss to talk about the Blackhawks for as long as we have here, Jay, without mentioning Patrick Kane. And while he has four points, I don't think he's as uh, has been as loud or at least as much attention paid to him uh, as we're usually uh, that we usually see towards him uh, in the playoffs. So talk to us a little bit of, about where Patrick Kane's game is and how he can really dictate play, uh, especially against uh, uh, high-quality opponents even against the Golden Knights. Yeah, you're right. I was surprised of how little of an impact he had on the Edmonton series. And that, you know, that could be Edmonton choosing to eliminate him, you know, and saying this is the guy we're going to focus on the most. The other thing is his line mates uh, weren't doing him much favors for part of the series. Uh, when Alice DeBrinkett, who scored 40 goals last year, has had a really down year this year, he was at Dylan Strome for a while. Towards the end of the series, Jeremy Cowden switched up the lines and put Kane with Kirby Dock and DeBrinkett and things looked a lot better uh, when that was put together. Kirby Dock, the rookie, has been maybe the most impressive Blackhawk not named Jonathan Taves in this series. Uh, and hopefully this series can get Kane going a little more because they can't win without Patrick Kane being their best and most effective forward. I don't know if that's if that's possible. And you know, I guess if you want to say, you know, you, if you want to make a case for the Blackhawks, you can look at it and say, well, you beat Edmonton in five in four games. Without Patrick Kane playing top level, with Alistair Brinkett being a non-factor, with Dylan Strome being a non-factor, if, if any or all of those guys perform the way they're expected to, the Hawks are a different team and a much better team. So we'll see. I, Patrick Kane's success sort of dictates the Hawks' success, and, it, and I think it's, it's tough to keep him down long. And trust me, Patrick Kane's a guy who studies the game probably more than any player I've ever covered in my career. And he knows what his numbers were. He knows what he contributed and what he didn't. And uh, I think he's going to look at this series as a reset and an opportunity to fix what went wrong against Edmonton. Blackhawks insider for our sister station, The Score in Chicago. It's great to have his insight and his knowledge. Jay Zawoski here on the Playmakers. Jay, thanks for hanging out with us. And we'll be sure to touch base as this series rolls on. Yeah, let's hope it goes uh, six or seven. Right on. I'm here for it, Jay. I'm here for it. Thanks so much, Jay. The more hockey, the better, right? You bet.
Jay Zawoski, Blackhawks insider for the score in Chicago. He wrote a book on the team, like literally a book. Yeah. The Big 50, the men in the moments that made the Chicago Blackhawks. Also hosts a podcast. He's been covering them for 20 plus years. It's, it, you know what? We almost need some crib notes or a little crib sheet, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Cliff's notes. Cliff notes. After, after a conversation like that, just real in depth, real good insight into a team that, you know, really, I mean, if you look at the schedule too and the fact that we had the pause, Knights fans haven't seen the Blackhawks unless you were watching uh, Center Ice or happen right. to catch them on national TV. The Knights haven't seen them in person for eight months. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where uh, where this postseason really is a, a, a toss-up because you're just not sure what teams you're going to get. And considering how well Jonathan Taves is playing, how well Dominic Kubalik is playing, and, and they're getting offense and, and support from some guys that they usually don't expect from, it makes sense how they got to where they are. But they're going to really have to step up that their game to beat the Gold Knights. That's exactly what Jay said. And but the Knights need to take care of business, and that's the biggest thing because they they know this. The Hawks know this. But if they're not if they're not efficient, if they're not uh, overbearing, if they don't dictate the play, Hawks will take it right over. They have no problem. That's exactly what they did in Game One against Edmonton, and I think that's what really pushed that series towards that side. It was four games, so it was short. But that game was won and lost. Just like the confidence from the from the Oilers, we're one and lost in Game One. Well, there's your view from the opposing bench tonight: the Vegas Golden Knights taking on Chicago. The puck is supposed to drop right around 7:40, is what we're looking at. The NHL does have two games, as we did start the playoffs earlier today. They are going into a second overtime in the Eastern Conference between Columbus and Tampa. We all thought so. Yeah, that is a obviously t- that is it. That is it. Not at a two-two, and at the end of the first period, Calgary is pouring it on Dallas right now, up two nothing. So my, so far, my picks are looking great. You At pick, least in those series. You picked both Columbus and Tampa? I did indeed. You or no, not Tampa. Te- no, you no, both no. teams and I, tied no, it too. I picked Columbus. Pick both teams? I picked Columbus and I picked Calgary in, in each of those respective series. They're both upsets, but they're looking good so far. But right. it's just game one. Right. The game ca- one. Right. It's very true. Shift by But we are underway as Lindsay will dig out more cliches throughout the program this afternoon. Coming up. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.